Welcome everybody, my name is Jun and you're listening to another episode of the Wiener Nordic Podcast. The Wiener Nordic Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with the latest news and inspiring stories relating to how God is at work in the Wiener Nordic community. Most people in our churches are actually called to be teachers at school, business people, people out in the world. My church is also a church that's filled with school teachers. And when I talk to these teachers, my heart breaks because so many children are coming from homes that are broken. And the only time they experience peace or love or care is the seven hours a day they go to school with their teacher. So God wants to move through our life. Today, I'm very happy to sit down with Adam Russell. Adam is the National Director of Vineyard Worship U.S. and is also pastoring Vineyard Campusville in Kentucky, U.S. And we got to have a really good conversation where we talked about his life journey, both where he met Jesus in the high pace as God did a lot of miracle and incredible things. But he also shares about harder times in life where he really learned to stay on to God and learn the slow pace of God moving in his life. And in this episode, we're also talking about worship, worship leading. We're also talking about church and how their church in Kentucky, where he lives, really grew when they started to reach out in the city and enable the entrepreneurial people to, to start businesses and really be a light in the community. So I really love this episode and I hope it will inspire you as well. So let's kick off. So, welcome to another episode of the Vineyard Order Podcast. I'm here today with Adam Russell, all the way from the U.S. Very welcome here. Hey, thanks a lot. Good to be here. Some of yeah. my favorite people in the whole world are my vineyard friends from the Nordic region. Yeah. Is there anyone you want to say hi to specifically? I have to say hi to Maria and Morton. They were my generous and kind hosts for the moment that I was over in your region at a leadership meeting. And... They've just been such great friends to me ever since. So shout out to those guys. Looking forward to maybe seeing them again, hopefully soon. Yeah, hopefully. You were actually supposed to come back, but the corona came and yeah, the rest is history. No, the rest is history. That's what happens. But we'll just have to make that happen again. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. how are you doing today? I guess it's daytime over at your place right now. It is. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's a little past noon and everything's good, but it is it's just become it's just become like actually winter, you know? I mean, we had an amazing autumn, amazing fall. The weather was so so good. Like it didn't rain. It's been 70 degrees every single day. Everybody's been very very happy. And then last Friday, some kind of a storm front came in. It rained all day long and then when we woke up on Saturday, it was crazy cold and it's been cold ever since and we just know it's winter now it's going to be dark early and everyone is sad yeah and it's, it's the same here that's my conclusion yeah. after this last week i think now the cold is also coming here so yeah, yeah. We, we just can't escape it we know it's going to happen and it just is what it is but but we're a little bit sad yeah tell us about who you are a little bit we will dig down more today in that but yeah for the ones that yeah. doesn't know you yeah my name is adam russell And I lead a vineyard church here in Campbellsville, Kentucky. This is a very rural part of the United States. It's more like Eastern, not exactly East Coast, but it's more Eastern than Western. And it's more South than it is maybe North and very rural, super beautiful. So if you have an image in your mind of maybe 
Ireland that wouldn't be totally out of reach. That would be mm-hmm. kind of in the zone, but we have more trees here and more mountains than they do in Ireland. And it's really beautiful. My city that I live in is a little town called Campbellsville. It's like 11,000 people. There's 25,000 in the county. And we have a vibrant vineyard community here. Mm. So we're not an urban church in any way. So we're not like those fancy people in Copenhagen or London or someplace like that. That's just not us. We're not New Yorkers and we're not from Orange County, California or Los Angeles. We're very different in that way. Mm. But the vineyard here is vibrant and very cool. But then the other part of what I do is I lead vineyard worship for the USA. So I'm the director of vineyard worship for the USA. And I get to help lead, serve, and think about what does it mean to be a vineyard worship leader in our kind of American context. Beyond that, I have a wife. She and I have been married for 23 years. Her name is Heather. We have four children, one son who's 21. And then I've got another son who's 18, one daughter who is 16 and a nine-year-old son. So we do a lot of soccer. Yeah. Spend a lot of my time like at the soccer field watching my children play, which is yeah. great. Yeah, I was and, just supposed um, to say that. You have a pretty full days, I hear. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, my life is very full. What I'm learning to say more these days is no rather than yes. There's just not much space for anything other than, you know, trying to be a pastor, trying to think and help and care about vineyard worship leaders here in the US and then hopefully be available to my family, you know? Mm. And once you get those three boxes clicked, there's just not really any other boxes that can be added on at this point. And so my life is just full. And I can't say yes to anything else because I want to be able to have spontaneous moments where maybe I just run into my friends in town and we have a beer. You know, mm. I don't want to lose that part of my life because, mm. and it's maybe kind of the best part of life, you know? Yeah. yeah. So how would you describe yourself with three words? Oh, that's a great question. Three words. I would say active. I love not only to work, but I love to play. So I love to go to the gym. I love to ride my mountain bike. I love to get out in the woods and just do stuff, especially with my older two sons. So I'd say active. I would say introverted. If we were just going to plot this maybe a bit more on the personal scale, I can do the extrovert thing. I can get the energy up. I know how to do that. But You know, in my heart of hearts, I'm a bit of an introvert. I enjoy my alone time. And so maybe active, introverted, and I'm learning. And there's all kinds of things I'm learning. Maybe at this stage of my life, I'm learning how to be maybe a little less competitive, learning how to be a little less driven, a little more open to just the things that God is talking to me about. And maybe those quieter, quieter ways that he speaks to us, but Yeah, maybe those would be some words that I would use to describe me now. Now, if you came to me in six months, maybe I'd give you three different words. Yeah, but I think it's good. So yeah. we move on to some short questions that we usually have here in the podcast. And uh, the first question is, what would you do on a free day if you could choose anything you want? Oh, John, I love this question. This is easy for me. I I want to go mountain bike. I want to go travel to some place that has some new trails, maybe some trails I haven't ridden. I want to take my sons with me and we want to get up early, go to a good coffee shop, have a good breakfast and ride and, you know, hit some sweet jumps. And hopefully we don't crash and we want to come home sweaty, but with our collarbones intact. We want to push our limits, but we don't want to die, you know? And that for me is a perfect day. And then when I come home, I want to drink a bottle of wine with my wife. Sounds like a perfect day. I can really picture that mountain bike trip in my head. That's right. Yeah. Uh, share one thing that not many people know about you. 
Uh, one thing, let me think about that for one second. I think I'm pretty open, John. Honestly, I, I think most people know who I am. I will say this, maybe the first time you meet me, you don't realize that I do love to read. I actually really love reading theology. Now, after you hang out with me for a moment, you'll pick that up. You'll pick up on that pretty quickly because if our conversation leans that way, I'm going to go there with you. But it's probably not the first thing about me that comes across. But yeah, that would maybe be something that a lot of people don't realize right away. Okay. What is your definition of leadership? Oh, it's just service. I mean, there's a lot of ways to think about leadership. I mean, I know a lot of times in leadership books, they define leadership as influence. And I understand that. I don't think that's untrue. I think there's something about that that's true, but I just can't get away from the words of Jesus. And Jesus tells his disciples that, you know, you want to be great? Well, be a servant, lead the least, give your life to the lowest and the people on the edges. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just can't get away from the words of Jesus on that. Even if I hear some other stuff that's very compelling to me, I'm learning to be wary of some of those other definitions that are in any way at odds with the example or the life of Jesus. So mm -hmm. I just keep coming back to leadership as service. And I love this definition because part of what it means in the Jesus ethic is that anyone can be great because Jesus says that this kind of service is actually what greatness is. So mm -hmm. greatness isn't the thing that makes you stand out. Greatness is service to those around you. And this means that anyone can be great. Yeah, it's open for everyone to join. That's right. It's not just, you know, you don't have to be Michael Jordan. Like, even if you're not Michael Jordan, you can still be great in God's kingdom because we can all be servants like that. Mm, that's so good. So if we move on to the last question, if you could choose three persons, dead or alive, to spend a dinner together with at the same time, who would those three people be? Mm, you could I choose whoever you want. I love this question. So let me see here. I think one of the people I want to have dinner with is Anthony Bourdain. Do you guys know who that is? Yeah, he's kind of a, okay, so this is a weird pick on my part, but Anthony Bourdain was a very interesting food writer in the U.S. And he had a TV show where he would like travel the world and eat different places and get to know the people and the cultures. And it's super influential here in the United States. And his aesthetic is not what you would think. So Anthony Bourdain is definitely has more of a rock and roll aesthetic, definitely kind of a bad guy in, in many ways and super hilarious. But I'd want to have, I'd want to have dinner with Bourdain. That would just be, yeah, you gotta, I gotta have this guy around. And then I probably want to hang with some sports guys, probably yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So I think I want to have, uh, do you have some Kentucky star? Uh, maybe, you know what? Here's honestly, I kind of think I want to talk to LeBron. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think I want to talk to LeBron James. So maybe Anthony Bourdain, LeBron James. And then I think I want to maybe have a musician. Yeah. And, um, and maybe Bono. Bono. I think, yeah. I think I want to yeah. have Bono over. And yeah. I think that would be a really fun dinner party. Yeah, that one you should record it. If you got to sit down with those four, you should do like a live recording of that yeah, dinner. Yeah, I, I know. I'll just, this is why I travel with my podcast here everywhere yeah. I go. Yeah, just, you just get, <laughs> you keep the microphones and you keep the Zoom recorder with you because you yeah. never know. Maybe it'll happen that's, one day. That's so good. That's so good. Okay, so thank you so much. And to dig down a little bit more into your story, like what would be three stories from your life that you could say shaped who you are today? And like, what were those turning points that made that change in your life, basically? Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things come to mind. I grew up in a Christian home. So my parents were Christians. I grew up where believing in Jesus was very normal. And it's normal. It's normal here in my community. Now, there's lots of people who don't follow Jesus. And 
maybe they know about Jesus, but they just they kind of don't care. That's increasingly normal. But it's also very normal for people here to um, to have some kind of a God consciousness. So that was definitely a part of my story. But I think one of the real turning points in my life was I was maybe around 17 and I had just been introduced to the vineyard, but I didn't really know what the vineyard was. I didn't really know what the vineyard was. And someone took me to a renewal meeting in the mid 90s. So if you're not familiar, there was kind of like a really big outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the mid 90s that was it was significant. And it was it was in the vineyard. It was around the vineyard. It was through the vineyard. Like it would be very normal for these kinds of meetings to happen. And by renewal, I just mean like a meeting where the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit was kind of the point of the meeting. So people were coming to be touched by the Spirit and people were being touched by the Spirit. And I didn't really have much of a context for this meeting, but I was taken to one of them. And when I went in, I I didn't get in very far. And by in, I mean like through the door, like just kind of came into the door and Mm. worship was already happening. And it felt like I went through a little bubble or something. felt like I walked into something that was just profoundly different. And Mm -hmm. when I got in there, I took a few steps into the building and I found myself sort of overcome by the power of God's presence. I mean, honestly, John, I don't know how to explain it. It's a very, it's a very strange experience. Mm. It was like the weight of God. And by that, I mean like heaviness in a very good way. And I found myself on the floor, which Mm. in the mid nineties and kind of like renewal times was pretty normal. I didn't know that was so normal, but I Mm. found myself on the floor and a group of people came around and prayed for me. And I just felt the love of God. And Mm. From what I understand, I laid on the floor for about an hour and a half Mm. and I was just overcome by God's Mm. love. Mm. And when I say overcome by God's love, I mean more than intellectually. And this is kind of hard to explain as well. It wasn't just I knew in my brain or I knew in some philosophical way that God loved me, but Mm. I knew in my person. I could Mm. feel it in my body. I could feel God's presence tangibly on my body. It felt like a heavy blanket. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just the presence of God. It was the love of, and I felt it so, so deeply that really changed my life. I was. How how was your experience with God and all that before you said like you, yeah, you grew up in this environment in some way, but this was different. What was the things that like was new for you? Yeah. I mean, that's a really great question. Yeah. I grew up in, in a home, like I said, where we love Jesus and everything. And my earliest experiences were actually fairly charismatic. My parents spoke in tongues and it was normal for people to get prayer, but it felt like that was for them and it wasn't for me. Then when I was a little bit older, my sister and I, we went to a youth group at a church. It was a denominational church and they were really good people. I had a great youth pastor there, had a great experience, but they were very, I guess you could say closed off to the Holy Spirit. They had a theology of the Holy Spirit, but they didn't really have much of an experience of the Holy Spirit or even a way to to think about the Holy Spirit. And so when I had my moment at this renewal kind of meeting in a vineyard context, it was cataclysmic. It was God's love, but it wasn't just something that was for my parents or for people who are older. It was now, I was like, okay, this is for me. And this is God inviting me into this kind of relationship and into this kind of a moment with him. Mm. And so it wasn't just my parents' faith and it wasn't youth group. It wasn't like it wasn't like it wasn't like I was just going there to hang out with my friends. Something really different happened. And then after that moment, I just it really settled my call. I had been in many ways 
feeling called by God for maybe many years, but I've been kind of like running away from my call. I was really, really um, conflicted. And I was conflicted about, I guess, the pastoral roles that I was seeing. I was just conflicted by how traditional those pastors felt. And by traditional, I just mean like, um, it's hard to describe. Like, why is this guy always wearing a suit? Mm. And the way they prayed felt, didn't feel real. It felt, it just felt like they were reading out of a book. It felt like a textbook or something. It was really strange. And so I just really struggled with that. You know, and I would, on the one hand, feel very called by God. I love God. But then on the other hand, I just thought to myself, I can't fit inside of that form. And so this experience opened me up to the possibility of a new form. And it opened me up to the possibility that I could be who I am and that God would work with me and through me as I really am. And like feeling the love of God and really feeling like I could settle into my calling. That was really what happened in that experience. Mm. Yeah, I can really agree. And that's also kind of the similar story I had when I met the vineyard. I also had that feeling like it was more of like really meeting Jesus as a personal savior, not as someone else or some pastor on the stage or some leader. It's more like God is for me and he's here all the time and he can do things wherever I am. It's not just in church or when I pray, but he's always there. So yeah, thank you. Is there any other stories that you're thinking of when you're speaking? I I would maybe tell one more. This This is from a few years back. I'm 44 now. And this was probably when I was around 35. And the popular way of saying that today would just be, I experienced a bit of a crisis of faith and I won't go into the whole story of why. But I really began to struggle in my faith. Now, at this time, I'm married. I've got three kids. My fourth one is not quite with us, but boy, he's probably getting ready to happen. I'm pastoring the church. I've been pastoring the church for a long time. I'm helping equip songwriters. I'm doing all this stuff locally at my vineyard church, but then also, you know, I have some things that I'm doing nationally with the vineyard. And I just really, I really hit the skids on my own faith. I really began to struggle. And the word we'd maybe say now would be, deconstruction, you know, I experienced a good level of, of wondering, does this make any sense? And I really began to question the goodness of God. Honestly, I really began to question the love of God, which is really interesting, even though I'd have that really charismatic experience earlier, I was really struggling. And what was interesting about all this is I was struggling almost alone for a good while. And I thought I was losing my faith. I thought, this is great. I am a pastor and I don't know if I believe anymore. And I'm getting up on Sunday mornings and I'm preaching and I'm just, I'm not sure what I think Mm. about the text or God or anything. And I finally got desperate enough and I won't even use the word brave. It was simply desperation. I finally got brave enough to let a person or two into what was actually happening in my life. And I, I began to share and I met a man named Dave Nixon. And Dave is kind of like a spiritual director type guy. And he's in the vineyard and he's a very cool guy, one, one, of, one of my favorite people. And I'm sharing just a little bit of where my head and my heart is. And Dave kind of starts laughing. He says, you know, Adam, this is probably just the beginning of you being a real Christian. <laughs> and, and those words landed on me with so much hope because I was like, what do you mean? I was thinking, I'm really struggling. I don't know what I think. And he's like, you know, not everyone, but lots and lots of people who walk with Jesus long enough eventually really get their faith challenged. And he kind of walked me through a couple people, not only in the Bible, but people in church history. And he just showed me how in some instances, not everyone, but in some instances, this is the disciples journey to really dig into who we are. And from that conversation, I began to have some 
just new experiences with God and some new experiences with people and even maybe experiencing a new freedom within myself to to feel like I could be honest. God gave me some different kinds of friends that I could process what was happening. And, and my faith came back alive. It took about three years for me to come full circle. Mm. But what I can tell you is now as a 44-year-old person, I love God as much as I ever have. I love the Bible more than I just, I love the Bible. My faith is alive, but there was definitely that season in my mid-30s where I was really struggling and it was God working not through what we might call charismatic renewal moments. In fact, it was the opposite. It was God working through questions. It was God working through like spiritual direction type relationships, listening friendships. And it was God coming to me in the quiet Mm. and God coming to me in ways that were slow and not obvious. And so part of what's happened in my life is now I have an imagination as a 44-year-old person for what we might call the fast work of God and the slow work of God. And what I'm realizing is, is those are not oppositional. They are two modes that God often works with everyone. And we have to have uh, some kind of an imagination for those two modes. Otherwise, we're missing a good bit of what he's doing in our life. And maybe we become disappointed or burn out or hopeless. when It's not really God being bad to us. It's just he's working in a way that we didn't we didn't have the eyes to see before, if that makes sense. Mm. So those two stories for me, even though they're kind of different, they go together because mm. they demonstrate the way that God will pour into our lives in ways that are very, very different. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much. I can, I mean, speaking about that second story you had, like, I think that's so common, you know, people struggle. I mean, all of us are struggling sometimes, but I think it's so important, as you say, to just dare to be open and often being open to someone maybe more experienced or, you know, that's been walking the road a little bit longer. Right. Often the answer is quite not as bad or as hard as you might think when you kind of just go with this in your own head. But like, what were those kind of main things when opening up? What, how did you see the change coming? Was it just being open? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say a couple of things, John. I would say, hey, just being open. Uh, there's something about living in reality that seems to open us to God's spirit. So no longer pretending I'm okay when I'm not okay. So so one of the things I've learned through this experience is that God can only heal our real lives and not our fake lives. That's the way I say it now, right? Mm-hmm. So God is only ever working in my real and actual life, not my imaginary or my made up life that I might be telling you so that I feel better about how you see me or something like that, or I'm just afraid, you know, all mm-hmm. of that stuff. It's not real and it's not who I am. And so when I found some appropriate relationships for sharing who I really was and what was really happening in my life, all of a sudden, God began to really move in my life. And then besides just being open with an appropriate person, this person and some other folks like them just helped me to really embrace, again, what we might call the slow work of God. So things like spiritual direction, which are just spiritual friendship, it's like conversations with someone who's listening for the ways in which God is working in your life. It's very, very helpful to me. Very, very helpful because I felt in some ways kind of abandoned or forgotten by God. But then when I'm telling my story of maybe some things that are happening in my life, this person's able to see six ways in which God is actually at work. And over the course of a year, they're helping me see all the ways the Spirit has been doing something that I wasn't aware of because I was just sort of trained in another mode. So I would Mm. say things like sharing, getting real. I would say 
things like spiritual direction. I would also say things like maybe different modes of prayer that are more contemplative, like Lectio Divina, like reading the scriptures and just putting myself in the scripture in a new way. You know, that, that was a skill that I, I didn't have on board. I just didn't have that skill. I didn't have that tool. And now I do. And learning some new forms of prayer and just being that were very, very helpful. It was also during this period of time that I, I started to do like a silent retreat once a year. There's mm. a little monastery that's about 35 miles from my house. And I go over there and it's been really, really healing. And it's a completely different kind of spirituality than what we normally embody in the vineyard, but it's been very, very helpful for me. And so it's been a combination of those things. And then if I look at my life in a bigger frame, I see God has been doing these things in my life where sometimes it's the fast work of God. It's like the Holy Spirit is showing up in my life with power and amazing results or an amazing feeling. Or sometimes it's the slow work of God that's coming through conversation, that's coming through spiritual friendship, that's coming through new forms of prayer or solitude. And he's teaching me a new way of being. Mm. And these things go together. Sounds so good. I think also you need the balance between those in order to, you know, be able to run high speed when those moments come. You need to be anchored and you need to have being rooted. It's true. I think on the other hand. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, some of this, John, too, as I've just experienced it and have gotten a little older, I mean, it's some of it's just the difference between maybe the spirituality of a young man and the spirituality of an older man. I mean, you know, as a younger guy, I was just, a lot more intense. And as an older guy now, I realize, you know what? I was trying to sprint a marathon. Mm. And you just can't, you know? I mean, mm. you can sprint for a while. Mm. You can run really hard for a mile, maybe two. Like if you're really fit, you can run really hard for two miles, but you just can't stack up sub five minute miles for a marathon, you know? Maybe there's a Kenyan guy out there who can do it, but I can't, you know? I just can't. My pace is much slower And in order for me to survive, I had to find something that was much more of a marathon pace. And in finding that, I found my life come back to me. And I also found that God wasn't upset about it. In in fact, that's the way he kind of like designed me and made life. So yeah, I really resonate with that. Yeah, that's really good. So moving on, as you shared earlier, you're the director of the Vineyard Worship in the US. And I mean, how did the whole worship ministry come into your life? And what is worship for you? You know, number one, I've always been a musician, loved music. Like from the time I was a kid, my earliest memories are I just wanted to play guitar. That's just all I wanted. When I was in high school, I was always in a band of some kind, like a garage band. Yeah, yeah. So I was always the drummer. Yeah. So my first music musical instrument was always the drums. So I played in a bunch of, you know, high school garage bands. And then when I came into the vineyard, you know, you just... If you're someone like me, you just resonate with worship. You just do. I mean, it just, it's who we are. Like in the vineyard, we're worship people. That's who we are. We're people of God's presence and God's presence is so available to us in worship. And yeah, so I was serving as a drummer for a while and then I started to lead worship and then I became the worship pastor at the church and I led worship as a worship person for like nine years. And then after nine years, I became the lead pastor of the church that I'm currently in now. So I've always kind of had a foot in these two worlds. So one foot being in the worship or like songwriting space. And then the other foot of my life has been in the pastor leadership space. Mm. And for whatever reason, God has never let me take one foot out and put two feet in one place. 
He's always kept me with the pastors and with the musicians and the songwriters and the worship leaders. He's always so. So I really see my life in many ways as a bridge. I'm a bridge between maybe the worship side of who we are and what we do in the vineyard and then the pastoral side. Yeah, that must be fun space to live within. I mean, that's really the two of the core things. I mean, the worship is, as you say, a core thing. And also, of course, the teaching and leadership and, you know. Yeah, those are big deals to us in the vineyard. And for whatever reason, my life has just had those two things kind of active. And as I get a little bit older, I'm just really thankful that God has has allowed that in my life because I think I've been able to be a voice to the pastors to say, you know, these worship people, they really matter. Like, Mm -hmm. not that the pastors don't know that, but to humanize it or to be an advocate in a new kind of way. And then also, you know, to come to the worship leaders and say, you know, I get what it is to be a pastor. You're like, I am a musician, but I also know what it is to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so being able to sort of bridge these different kinds of intelligences Mm -hmm. so that we could connect more. I feel like that's a a big part of what God has done in my life. And it feels very life-giving to me. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad I don't have to choose one or the other, you know? That's good. What do you see like is important in the times to come when it comes to worship in general and also maybe specific in the vineyard worship movement? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just want to say, I want to say this, like in the vineyard, we're nothing if we're not worship people. I mean, anytime you start going and looking at like the history of the vineyard or how the vineyard came about or how the vineyard multiplied across the United States and then throughout the world, the story is always interwoven with worship. It just is. Like, we are a singing people. So, you know, I would say it's just core to our identity. And I don't know how we can be a vineyard people without being a worship people. I just, I don't know that that exists. And then, you know, maybe speaking more broadly about worship and the days that we live in and maybe the times that are coming, I would just say to especially vineyard worship leaders, that some of our historic vineyard values, things like no height, this is not just historically important, but it's becoming increasingly important in our modern context because so much of the worship space, and I don't even mean this in a judgmental way, but it's just, it's very, very curated. It's very, very produced. And so what I, what I want you to hear is a couple things. First, what I don't want you to hear is I'm, Adam is saying like, we shouldn't care about doing things well, because of course we want to do things well. Let's do things as well as we can, you know? But I also want to say that our image in worship or the way that maybe a modern online life has gotten us all to become individual brands or the way that we curate our moments and it kind of becomes a highlight reel. I'm very concerned about how that touches things like worship because pulls some of the authenticity out. And I think one of our vineyard values is no hide and it's to be authentic. It's to be a real people. Like I hope that vineyard worship leaders, when they're leading from their authentic self, and I hope that when people experience us as leaders in the vineyard in those worship moments, I hope they're experiencing people who are real, moments that are real. And it's not like manufactured, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So I'm really emphasizing that because, you know, the worship industry now, it's geared towards maybe big conferences and records. And all of a sudden you can be seeing an entire world that's very manufactured. And I'm not sure that helps us. So I would say to vineyard worship leaders everywhere, that, that thing about authenticity realness, leading from a real place, being who we really are, no hype, you know, 
course, we want to do well, play well, sing well, of course, not manufacturing moments. I would also put this word in here, John, waiting and patience. The best worship and stuff that I think is really, really, truly vineyard is it's worship that is facilitating connection and communion between God and his people. You know, the point of worship is not that simply everybody in the room would sing. That's like step one. You know, it's, I mean, it's a good step, but it's, that's not the point. And the point of worship is not that we would start a song, do an octave jump, get everybody to go, and then, you know, big clap at the end and every, the trash cans on the drums. That's not the point. The point is that God's people would get connected to God and God would get connected to his people. And then this kind of conversation happens. And that only happens in a context where there's some patience and some waiting oftentimes demonstrated by the worship leader. So Mm -hmm. maybe what happens is, you know, we get into the song and maybe we have an arrangement, but maybe there's a piece of the song that is just alive to this room of people on a given morning and we just stop, you know, we go, I don't care about the arrangement. We're going to, mm. we're going to sing this bridge again, or we're going to maybe sing the bridge a couple of times. And maybe the third time we're not going to sing it. We're just going to play some music and we're just going to wait here for a minute because God seems to be moving and maybe God will speak to the worship leader or. Yeah. What would you say to people wanting this? You know, it's scary to just stop, but what would you say to them? How to mature in this or not mature, but like yeah. grow in this area? Yeah. I mean, it's risk taking, right? Like all of this is risk taking. And when I say stop, I don't even mean, I don't mean like stop the music. I mean, just you see, you see a moment and you go, oh, this is an opportunity. Let's just, let's hang here for a moment. So, Mm. I mean, John, this is all risk taking. There's a chance that when you do this, it's not going to go well. That's okay. I think occasionally having moments in our worship where things don't go well, I think it's actually okay. I think that's actually okay because it's the only way we learn. Mm. I mean, no one learns how to be a good preacher by winning all the time. You don't. In fact, when you first start preaching, you're going to preach a lot of bad sermons, you're, you know, or moments that are going to be like awkward and you didn't know how to find the word or the connector or the story was weird. Or, you know, when we're learning how to do ministry, sometimes our prayers are clunky or maybe we're, you know, and the only way we learn is by reps. Yeah. You so know, you would say the best tip is like to just try and risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a risk and sometimes it may go amazing. And then sometimes maybe it just won't be as amazing. And that's okay. In the moments when it's not amazing, I think it's always good to go to your leaders and go, hey, I tried something. It wasn't amazing. How did you guys experience it? And then try to like maybe do a little autopsy on the moment to go, why was that not amazing? Was it not amazing because I got filled with anxiety and I just kind of freaked out and I like, I forgot the chords, you know, I just got like, my brain just turned off. It was like, Mm. you know, and I couldn't remember that the next chord was E minor. Was that what it is? Was it something else? Was it, I wasn't communicating with the band well? Like, did I know where I wanted to go, but no one in the band knew where I wanted to go? Mm. Do I need to learn how to lead in those moments better? You know, and if that's the case, well, then that's a different kind of conversation. Mm. So it's just, it's giving yourself permission to have some conversations. It might be a little bit uncomfortable, but they give us self-knowledge, right? Like they give us a new kind of self-awareness so that the next time we're in this moment, we can plan for it better and we can learn how to lead through that moment better. Or maybe, you know, maybe my brain didn't shut off and maybe I did remember that the next chord is E minor and maybe I did communicate with the band really well and they nailed it with me, but I didn't really help the room. Maybe I haven't learned how to pastor the room. Maybe I haven't learned how to say to the room while we're playing some music, hey, we're just going to hang out here for a moment. I feel like God is with us right here in this part of the song. We're just going to wait on him. Why don't you put your hands out in front of you? It's just a posture of being open and open to God and saying, my heart is open to you, God. And we're going to, we're going to wait here just for a moment. 
And we're going to sing it one more time. Everybody lift up your voice. One voice, church. Well, we just didn't know how to lead the room. Mm. You hear what I'm saying? But we only learned this by trying and maybe we failed. And then we have some conversations afterwards that are a little bit uncomfortable. And then we get some new self-knowledge. And then the next time we go back, we can grow as a leader. Yeah, that's so good. Speaking about also like you, you shared about being one foot in two different worlds in a way, like in church as a pastor, but also in the worship ministry. And I remember you from a couple of years ago when you visited our leadership summit, where you spoke about your church and how you made this active move into the city. Maybe you can share about that process you did and what was the background to the kind of move you did as a church to reach the people there? You know, John, it was probably a bit more intuitive than it was super intentional, especially at the beginning. Our church has always been a place of like musicians and artists and creatives, always. Just We've just always been a church of like musicians and songwriters. And then somewhere along the way, God began to touch people who were not musicians and whose brains just work different, you know, but the entrepreneurs among us. And there just began to be a lot of momentum around this idea that God was calling people to pastor our community, even if they weren't on staff at the church. Like God could use teachers to pastor the community. God needed pastors at school. God is looking for people to take his kingdom into every place. So, you know, some of it was just kind of like intuitive like that. But then I also remember there was this moment where we were teaching this series out of Isaiah. And there's that passage in Isaiah. Even Jesus quotes it. He says, you know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to bring good news to the poor. This passage out of Isaiah. But then in verse four of this passage, it was really highlighted to us as a little church community. And verse four says, that they, meaning the people that God has restored, the people that he has poured his spirit out on and he's renewed, that they will rebuild the ancient cities and the ruined and devastated places. So there's this progression that became obvious to us that in, in here in Isaiah 61, that God wants to pour his spirit out on us and he wants to pour his spirit out on us to set captives free. But what he wants to really do in the end is he wants this community of freedom, people who used to be captive, this community of freedom and God's kingdom. He wants us to move out into the cities and to look for places that are ruined or devastated and to do the renewal work. Like the things that were happening inside of us, God would like us to do it on the outside of us. That was basically the thought. I mean, I think that's the scripture and it kind of hit us like, wow, this is an invitation from the Holy Spirit ourselves to be renewed on the inside in our hearts to give our lives to God, but then also to go, okay, we've done that. Now let's look outward and go, where are the places in our city that are like like our hearts used to be? And one of the things we recognized right away was Main Street in our town. It's like the oldest part of our city. It's like the, his, the historic part. It's really old. And uh, we realized that most of the buildings were just empty. There was nothing there. It was, they were abandoned and they were gross and they, nothing was there. And here's this part of town. It's like the coolest part of town. There's nothing there. And so people from my church started buying those buildings and fixing them and putting their businesses in there. And now if you were to come to my little town and, and you were to go down Main Street, what you would see is that every single building on Main Street is filled and there's all this life all the way up and down Main Street. And over half of it is vineyard people. Wow. What kind of businesses do they run? Oh, there's an amazing coffee shop. There is an amazing CPA, like accounting firm. There is 
a barbecue restaurant. There is a ballet dance studio. There is a real estate agency. There's trying to think on the backside. There's a new brewery. There are vineyard people. They're about to open. I mean, it's just, it just keeps going, right? There's like, there's a salon for a place to get your hair cut. I mean, there's all these places and it's really beautiful. And there's so many more all mm. the way up and down. And it's just, it was one of those really weird, but really beautiful things where God just showed us from the scriptures, what he wanted us to do. Mm. You know, it was just like a little invitation. Hey, the things I've done in your heart, now go do that for the city. Mm. It was literally that simple. And of course, it was more complicated than that. But in terms of the light coming on in our minds, that's the light that came on. Sounds so good. I'm so inspired to hear that it's also, you know, in a way, it's normal businesses. It's not like, you know, oh, we do Christian ministries. It's like you take care of people's needs in their everyday lives. Through that, you can just show another mentality or you just can be open with your faith or you don't even need to put up a program with Jesus Mart on a stamp to, you know, to, to be his witnesses in the city. I, I think yeah, it's so good example of just doing that. Yeah. And what's funny is people caught on real quick. They were like, oh, man. What is the common denominator between all these things that are happening on Main Street? They're like, oh, they're vineyard people. They love mm. God. Mm. And they love and people. That's it. I mean, and people yeah. started catching on. They're like, oh, that's interesting. And then, you know, another way to think of it, too, is like if God has called you into being an entrepreneur or being a business owner, I mean, part of what he's actually calling you to is to build something that could give people a life. Like if you're an employer and you have employees, you're giving people a life. You're giving them, you know, not just a place to come and do something for a few hours, mm. but you're giving them a paycheck, which makes a way for them to have a home and mm. children mm. and a real existence. And so, mm. man, that's God's heart. Yeah, I like that perspective as well as we don't just do our business, whatever, to be able to bring money back to church. But the main reason is to give people life through yes. work or through just the, the services we offer. And that will, yeah, make a big difference, I would say. Yeah, it's a really big deal. I mean, we see so many opportunities. I mean, if you have someone who has a business and they're Christians and their heart in that business is, I want to, as Paul would say, I want to do this as unto God, unto yeah. the Lord. There's at least three layers to this. So on the one hand, like you were saying, your goods, your services, whatever it is that you're offering to your community, doing that really, really well, it blesses them. Two, having employees, you're giving those employees a life. Whether it, I mean, maybe that's just for a short while. Maybe it's a job where they work for you a year or two years, but you're giving them a life and they do, they go on to do something better. Mm. Or maybe it's the kind of job where someone makes a career out of it and they build a whole life out of it. Profound. Yeah, imagine to be a person making room for that to happen. Myself, I'm part of a new start organization here in Sweden where we actually want to speak and enable more young people with entrepreneurial mindset or the giftings like how can they be released in serving Jesus fully? Because what we have seen a lot, also when we speak to young people, is like, we never talk about this in church. It's the typical roles. Otherwise, you can go somewhere else and, you know, do your career, bring back money to us, serve coffee on Sundays. But instead of that, like, how can we actually train these people to go out and do what they are best in and serving God and seeing that is what it is to serve God? I would say. Yeah, I mean... Here's the thing, John. Some of the people who are listening to us are called to be pastors and leaders and worship people, youth pastors or children's workers. Some of the people who are listening to us are called to them. But most of the people who are listening to us today are not. Most people in our churches are actually called to be teachers at school or the universe, business people, people out in the world, right? Mm. I mean, that's just it, you know? And so we have to have an imagination 
for people being faithful disciples to Jesus, but they're not pastors in maybe the sense that you or I are. Mm. And that's great. And we need more of it. I mean, my church is also a church that's filled with school teachers, like elementary little Mm. kids, you know? And when I talk to these teachers, my heart breaks because so many children are coming from homes that are broken. So many children have parents who are addicted to drugs or they just have really unstable, really bad home lives. And the only time they experience peace or love or care is the seven hours a day they go to school with their teacher. Yeah, You better believe that what I'm hoping for is that their teacher is somebody from my church who loves Jesus and knows how to like ask God's kingdom to break in, right? Like we yeah. need, so yeah. I just have a huge imagination for people being entrepreneurs or pastors, what God wants to move through our life. Mm. Sounds so good. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being here today. To end this conversation, if you could write whatever you want to or illustrate whatever you want to on a big billboard for the whole world to see, what would you do? Or what would you write or illustrate on a something for everyone to see? That's a beautiful question, John. I think I would just put on a huge billboard and I would say, love is the only thing that matters. Love is the only thing that matters. Sounds so good. And out of what we've been speaking about today, what do you hope and wish would challenge people today and the times ahead? Well, I hope people here, maybe in my story or even in some of the other things that you and I were talking about, that God is with us and he's active in our lives. And even in the moments when it feels like he's not, he actually is. And maybe he's working in a way that's smaller or quieter than what we were used to, but he is very present in our life. And we've never been alone. Not one moment. We have never, ever been alone. Sounds so good. And thank you again for being here with us. And yeah, we just wish you all the best and God's blessing. And hope to see you soon in real life in the Nordic somewhere. That's right. Listen, I'm buying a really big winter parka and I just need a plane ticket. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to follow the Vina Nordic movement and everything that is happening, you can go to Facebook and Instagram and follow us under Vineyard Nordic. You can also help us by subscribing to this podcast on the different podcast platforms. When doing that, you will also get an update every time we have a new episode out. So again, thank you and see you again next time. Bye bye.